Why don't you just take a moment and welcome with me here tonight, Steve Nicholson. Hey, it's been great being with you this, this weekend. And, you know, God was really good to us getting out here from Chicago yesterday. We really had no problems to speak of. So it looks like we're going to have no problems getting home, so we're thankful. Hey, where were you on September 11th? The does September 11th? Do you remember where you were? I was not at home. I uh, had flown out to Portland, Oregon the day before for a meeting. And uh, I'd rented a car, and we were at this resort place about an hour up the coast of Maine. And uh, so on September 11th, I was sitting at breakfast there, getting ready for the start of our meeting for the day. And, you know, somebody came in and said, did you hear the news? Did you hear the news? A plane flew into the Trade Center. And I imagined in my head, you know, a little plane where the pilot got mixed up and but pretty quickly we figured out, no, this is a big deal. And uh, so we get to our meeting, and they hauled in a television, and and uh, we had guys there from all over the country. And uh, we started watching these things develop on the television. And uh, when the first building fell down, you know, everybody gasped. You know, uh, actually the first one fell down, and it was kind of, most of the screenshots was behind, so they, we didn't really get it till the second building actually fell down. But something came over that room. First of all, it was very clear, this meeting is over. <laughs> the meeting is over. And all I can tell you is that what proceeded to happen was all of these people, and they're, they're like all leaders, significant leaders all over the country, all of a sudden did not want to be there. What I felt was this unbelievable compulsion, I need to be home now. And it wasn't because I was afraid for my family. It wasn't like that. It wasn't like I didn't know everybody at home was okay. But it was like this thing of when you're in a time of that kind of crisis or when it feels like things are unsettled and you know everybody's going through all this trauma I just felt like I need to be with at home with my community with my church so we can do this together and I wanted to be there right now the trouble was I was 1,200 miles away and if you recall no airplanes were flying anywhere anytime soon we spent about half of the day trying to figure out what was going to happen, where planes going to fly soon. And by about 2 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon, it was clear that it was going to be many days before anybody flew anywhere. And so I called up Hertz. This is an advertisement, I suppose. Well, I called them up and said, I've got one of your cars. I'm not about to turn it in now, because by then I knew that having a rental car was like winning the lottery at that point so no way I'm giving up on this thing uh, but I don't want to take it back to Portland, Oregon they said we know it's an unusual situation just drive the car wherever you need to go and turn it in wherever you can whenever you can unbelievable so I got in my car 
about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and I drove home to Chicago. And I was home by about 4 or 5 o'clock the next day. Uh, basically, I did what I've always wanted to do on long trips, stop for gas, have a quick run to the bathroom, grab food, eat in the car, and keep going. <laughs> you know, this is this thing about home. You know, what's home? What is so powerful about home? It's a place of security, of belonging, of comfort. You know, in the outside world, you have to deal with all kinds of other people and how they do things. But in your own home, you can kind of let down your hair. You know, generally, depending on how many people you have crammed in there. You can make your own choices. Home's where your familiar stuff is, your favorite chair. You know where the cookies are kept, generally. Although there were points in my life where that my wife tried to keep ahead of everybody else in the house. Um, it's your own bed. You know, it, it's the place where you can relax. Home is the place where most of your friends are. Home is the place where you know how things work or how they don't work. You know, oh, you have to hit the faucet that way or it won't turn on. You know, all that kind of stuff. And if you've ever traveled to a foreign land, you maybe have some idea of the consternation of not being at home and not knowing how things work. I remember the first time I got to India, I, you, you go in, the, the airport seems normal, and you walk out of the immigration area and you're hit with something entirely different. All of a sudden, there's a hundred taxi drivers all yelling at you at once to come into their taxi. And they're grabbing your luggage and taking it to their taxi without asking you. And you're wondering, what's happening? Am I being robbed? And that's how it starts, and it never stops. Because it's unfamiliar. You don't understand the system when you're not at home. So what happens when God calls you to leave home? What happens when God puts you in the place where you don't know how things work, and you don't know what's going to happen, and you don't know what you're exactly supposed to do? Will you have the courage and the faith to trust God and rely on Him in that moment, or are you going to run back to what seems like home? I'd like us to look at Hebrews chapter 11. We're doing kind of, we've been over the weekend looking at heroes of faith, heroes of courage. And tonight I want to look at Abraham. Hebrews chapter 11, I'm going to read verses 8 to 10 and then verses 13 to 16. And uh, I don't know if they're going to stick it on the screen or not. Are they going to stick it on the screen? I don't know, we'll see. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Verse 13, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. 
Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Abraham is one of the greatest heroes of all time. He is called the father of faith, and to this day his tomb is revered by all of the three great monotheistic religions. He is considered one of the key people for all Jews, all Christians, and all Muslims, which is pretty amazing. Very important man. Pretty amazing for a man who never wrote, as far as we know, a single word. This man had only two sons. One son was by his wife, miraculously in old age, and one by his wife's slave girl, which resulted in a world of problems that are still going on. Most of his life, he lived in a tent. He was never a king. He made his living herding sheep and goats. In fact, most of his life, he did not even live in his own country. So what was it that enabled Abraham to become such an important person? How did he make such a strong mark on history? And it's very simple. He knew God, and he had the courage to trust God and respond to him in a profound way. It's what the Bible calls faith. Now, Abraham, at the beginning of the story, was living in an area of the world which we have become painfully acquainted with as Iraq. That's where he was living where Iraq is now, in a city called Ur. You can actually still go to Ur. It's kind of just a pile of ruins now, but you can still go there. And that was where he was from. And all of his father and his other relatives lived there. And one day God called him and spoke to him and said, Leave, and I will bless you. And I will take you to a promised land where you will prosper and you will be blessed and your descendants will be as the sand on the sea and the stars in the sky. And his life was never the same. So what exactly was God calling Abraham to? The first thing was to leave home. He had to leave his home, his family, his friends, his people, everything that was familiar. Now, these are things that we all need deeply. We're social creatures. And it takes a lot of courage and a lot of motivation to move away from it. Nowadays, when you move far away from your family, you still have lots of compensations. You can visit. You can fly on an airplane or drive a rental car. You can write letters. You can phone. You can send emails. You can do all kinds of things. But you have to understand, when Abraham left Ur, there was none of that. There was no phoning home. There was no sending an email. And there was no going back. It was goodbye for good. And yet he left it all behind. And in leaving that behind, he left everything that he was secure in, everything that he was familiar in. He knew there was a promised land ahead of him, but long before he could ever see it, he had to leave home. You cannot get to the promised land that God has for you without leaving behind the security of your old home, your old habits, your old familiarities. You can't get to all the places God has for you or become the person you could be in God unless you're willing to launch out beyond what's already familiar territory. And go into the uncertainty of following God into uncharted territory. You can't get there without leaving home. 
You've got to leave. And that means you have to be ready to be uncomfortable. You have to be ready to change. Those who follow Jesus have to understand that to follow Jesus is to join the journey to a new promised land and leave behind everything that went before. When we get baptized, what we're doing in baptism, we're going through the motions of dying to our entire previous life. It's like you're dead now to everything before. And the only life that you now have is in Christ, in Him. When you decide to follow Jesus, then you're saying, enough of my own security, enough of this world, enough of my own home, and setting out on a great adventure. And whether you actually ever end up having to make a geographic move or not, God will make you leave home one way or another. He'll change something. He'll stretch you. He'll bring new people. He'll bring new opportunities. Things that will make you have to go some way or other where you've never been before. And where you might even be scared to death. I don't know how to behave here. I don't know how it's going to work out. We want to cling to security and predictability. But it doesn't always work that way. You have to wait and happen. I remember the first time we took a ministry team with us to India. We wanted to know, when does the meeting start? So they told us a number. You know, it starts at 7. But that's not how anything works there. You know, a couple of people turned up at 7. And so we went over and dutifully sat there at 7, which was a big mistake. What we didn't realize is this meeting's going to last till 1 o'clock in the morning. And not everybody's going to get there till about 11. And everything else before that is just the preliminaries. You know, and they would, then there would be the next day. What time are you picking us up to go? Oh, thus and so. So we'd be all ready to go at thus and so time. And then we'd be waiting for like three hours, and they'd turn up when they turned up. And some people on the team had a really hard time with that. They couldn't handle that. I, le- I need to know when things are happening. And I said, just forget it. Just, you know, when you're here, they happen when they happen. Just go with the right. Don't worry about when things happen. They'll tell you when it's ready. You know, just be a slave. Be, be like a child. Just play until they tell you you have to go. You know, and don't, don't fuss, you know, like, when is it all happening? Some people could handle that better than others. But you know what? That's really where God tries to pull us in one way or another. To, to let go of always like knowing exactly what's going to happen and when. Maybe you're right in that kind of time right now in your life. Where he's pulled the rug out from under you. And everything you thought was predictable isn't anymore. And he's calling you to leave home. Maybe he's challenging you in some way. Do this new thing. Take on this new ministry. Start this new job. You know, adopt a child. Whatever it is. It's a new adventure. And you don't know what's going to happen when you do. Do you have the kind of courage that it takes to trust God and go ahead and leave home as Abraham did? Now, the other thing, see, is that, number two, Abraham had to depend completely on God for everything that home was. It says he did not know where he was going. 
It wasn't like God said, okay, Abraham, I want you to leave home and you're going to go to Palestine. That's not what he said. He says, I want you to leave home and I'll tell you you're there when you get there. God did not tell him where he was going. Now, I just imagine Abraham going to his father-in-law's house to explain what is about to happen. Uh, Dad, we'd like you to know that we're leaving. You're not going to stay in business with me? No, we're not. You're not going to stay in her? No, we're not. Where are you going? We don't know. What are you going to do? We don't know. And the father's probably saying, And I let you marry my daughter? This is nuts. He didn't know where he was going. You know, it's bad enough to leave everything that's to secure and to leave home behind. But to not where you're going, know where you're going, that's a whole additional level of courage. That's a really uncomfortable place. I remember, this happens to graduates. A lot of times graduates go through a deep period of anxiety and panic before they graduate from school, from college in particular, because now they have to go into the real world, and a lot of times they don't know what's going to happen. In fact, I remember the day I graduated from college, they had to drag me out of there, because I understood, I liked, I would have happily stayed for several more years in school, but they made me graduate, and they weren't going to give me any more money to go to school there. And... I didn't know where I was going to live in a week. My parents were in the middle of moving themselves. I couldn't move home. I had one week because my roommate was getting married in a week, so I could, I could go with him and stay in a hotel room with him until he got married. But when he and the girl he was marrying went off on, for their honeymoon, that was the end of my life as I could see it. And I did not know what I was going to do from that moment on. As far as I knew, I was going to be homeless right then. And I found out, uh, I think, two days ahead what the next step was going to be. God gave me all of two days' warning. And, you know, that created a little anxiety and and a little concern. But, you know, it turned out okay. That's how God got me to Chicago. And I've loved it there. We like, of course, a road map. Where is this going? What's the purpose? When are we getting there? How's it going to turn out? How many hours are they? In fact, we're constantly trained to avoid this situation of not knowing where you're going. You know, the whole process of maturity, as we understand, is generally one of increasing self-reliance and awareness of where you are and where you're going. That's how we understand maturity, right? It was really a great day growing up when I could progress from, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? To looking at the map and being able to follow it. My parents especially loved it when I could get to that point. That's the way it is in our natural lives. Decreasing dependence. But spiritually, it's just the opposite. Spiritual maturity is becoming more and more dependent more and more following Jesus only minute by minute Jesus said I only do what the Father does I only speak what the Father tells me absolute perfect dependence on the Father that is the 
penultimate of spiritual maturity. And our challenge with following Jesus is that we have to become less self-reliant and more reliant on him. Abraham's challenge was that. And his challenge to us is to live in dependence on God instead of ourselves. We have to learn how to start every day with the question, what are you doing today, God? Not what's in my daytime or what did I plan, but what are you doing today, God? And be ready for what he brings. It's not that we don't plan, but we plan with the realization that they can always be changed. Some of you are kind of in that spot right now. I don't know what's coming next. I don't know what to do. You're in a good spot. Because now now you can only rely on him. The rest of you will get your turn soon enough. Number three, God is calling him to set his heart on the home that's not yet seen. It says, they admitted that they were strangers and aliens on the earth. Whatever sense of home we gain here in this world is, from the biblical point of view, actually an illusion. This world is not my home. Chicago is not my home. Cedar Falls is not your home. We have another home. And we need to have our hearts connected to that other home in order to live. Like E.T., we need home. But phony home is not enough. We need to go there. Abraham's heart was set on his true home. The spiritual city of God. And that is where he got his life and his hope and his security his whole life. From God. Not from the place. He knew that his true home was the heavenly city, and so it didn't matter that right at the moment he was living in a tent. He accepted that in this life and in this world he would never truly be at home anyway. The minute we give our life to Christ, the Holy Spirit does something, a very powerful miracle inside each and every one of us, the minute we give our life to Christ. Because in that moment, he puts a supernatural spark that's like a time bomb inside of you that when Jesus comes back is going to go off and transform you into something entirely different. But because it's there, it already is doing its work inside of you and it makes you something other, something alien. And we are no longer normal in that sense. Because from that moment on, we are connected to the supernatural in a whole nother way. And our home is not here. It is somewhere else. The tabloids in the supermarkets are right. There are aliens on the loose, and it's us. God is calling you to admit who you are and where you belong and where you don't belong. There is a real sense in which everything in this life and in this world is meaningless to us because there is something so much greater, a place so much more wonderful to which we belong. Some people get this. They're always yearning for that something more. They never quite can get settled. There's something else. There's something else. I know it is. 
Yes, it is. They're right. It's the heavenly home that we are going to. Others of us are better at self-deception, and we think we're fine now. If we could only catch a glimpse of that place, we wouldn't be anymore. So do not set your heart on what is seen, but set it on what is unseen. Remember who you really are, and then living all this out won't be nearly as difficult. And when things don't go the way you thought they would go, it won't matter as much. And when, when there's setbacks, they won't take you down. They won't destroy you. Because you understand, this world's not in my home anyway. When people mistreat you, as they will, you will be able to rejoice, as Jesus says. Because you know, this world is not my home. Remember who you are, and then have the courage to live it out. How did Abraham get the courage? Well, first of all, he did it by just simply obeying it. He understood that obedience is key. And he obeyed before he understood. He did not understand everything that God was doing. He did not understand what this was all about, but he said yes anyway. We, a lot of times, we want to check it out first. Tell me how it's all going to work out, God, and then I'll decide if I like it. But no, he wants you to say yes first, and then he'll explain. The man or the woman of faith learns how to do that, to say yes first, and then let God bring his wonderful surprises. And this can be a tough lesson. It's nice. You guys have been in this facility, this new facility here. How long? Almost a year. My church, we started back in 1976. So we are now in our 31st year. We have spent the last 10 years trying to get into a new building ourselves, which we finally just got into this last April. It took us a very long time. Now, why? Well, we're right in the middle of the city of Chicago. We don't have any 60 acres of corn anywhere near us to buy. You know, in fact, one of the people on my team was looking out the door there, and they said, it's really weird to look out the window and not see any other buildings. Okay, so it's completely built up. It's a completely dense place. And uh, we had a, uh, a political problem with the city. They didn't want any more land going off the tax rolls uh, for some reason. And make a long story short, we had a 10-year battle. And uh, we actually had to go to federal court and all kinds. You would not believe what we went through. And during all this time, of course, we kept trying to find another place. And we tried to buy even other churches, you know, to get in there. And every time something would go wrong, something would go wrong. And uh, we, we, we wouldn't get it. You know, we, there was a Christian science building. There was like three little old, you know, 75-year-old Christian science ladies left. You know, all right. Well, maybe there were a few more than three, but there weren't very many of them. And, and uh, do you think they'd sell to us? No, they sold to some music school, you know. And we thought we could make that work. And then there's this, and there's that, you know. And so... You know, after a while, I just started complaining to God. What, what's the deal here? You know, like, what have you got against us? You know, like, you give the Mormons a, a building, and you give the Buddhists a building, and you give the Christian scientists a building, and the Unitarians got a nice building, and every cotton-picking cult and false religion in the country has a building, but nothing for us. You ever talk to God like that? Well, you know, it, it ended as most of those conversations go, very quiet, very silent, you know. <laughs> he doesn't answer those. 
But you know what happened was, a very bizarre thing happened at the end of this thing. We had bought this building, that, that's what we were fighting over, and it was a, a sort of okay building. It had about uh, 30,000 square feet, and we thought we could cram ourselves into there and make it work. It had about 60 parking places. And we thought that would be a good deal. Well, after this long, protracted battle, when the last legal thing happened, one of the politicians that, used to, that gave us the most trouble through the entire process comes up to us and says, there's a building in my part of the city for sale, and I would like it not to go for some of the things the developers want. I would like it if you guys would buy that building and move into it. Why don't you sell this building that we just finished fighting about and move into this other building? Well, it turned out that while we'd been doing all this fighting, the building that we'd been fighting about had gone up in value a whole lot. And so we did sell that building and made a ton of money up. And we bought an 80,000-square-foot building with about 400 parking spaces right next to a shopping center with another 1,500 parking spaces. We now have a bigger building with more parking than any church, cult, false religion, or anybody else anywhere nearby... But we didn't get it till the very end. And I thought God was mistreating me the whole time. And what it was was, no, he was just saving the best for the last. See, we can't always understand what God is doing. And so we just have to say yes. And go with him. That's what Abraham had to do. And there was one more thing that helped him get the courage, and that was the hope of a better home. You know, millions of immigrants move to America in hopes of a better inheritance. How many of you are descendants of immigrants? Actually, unless you're American Indian, all of you. All right, all of you. And actually, the truth is, they were too, just 10,000 years sooner. You know, everybody that's here is here because people left home so they could find a better home. And Abraham and all the other heroes mentioned in the Bible also had a hope. And their hope wasn't for a piece of land in the Middle East that doesn't have enough water. No, their hope was for a heavenly city, a spiritual city, a whole new kind of home where God's will is done perfectly, a home that nobody else can build. And if Abraham was here, he would say to you, I have a dream. It's a dream of a better place, a place where God is known, a place where His will is done as it is in heaven, a place where love is clear and present and rich and thick, and where suddenly all the aches and yearns in the depths of our heart are fully satisfied, where we can rest completely. God is not just building this city for something you to go to after you die. No, he's building this city now. In us. In our hearts. Right now. And when you hear the word of God, you know, when you hear those things and something inside burns and just says, Oh, yeah. That's the city getting built. 
When people come into our worship time, they cry. Do they do that here? When they start coming, you know, the first month or two or three, they start coming to church, they cry. You know, I remember one poor Jewish girl. Somebody dragged some Jewish girl to church and, I, and they said, you know, my friend is coming, she's Jewish, she's never been in a Christian church before, you know, pray for us. So I'm looking over and, and she's crying through the whole service. Like, oh my goodness. She can't stand that we're talking about Jesus, you know. And she's going to be so offended. I go up to her and I said, what's going on, you know, how are you doing? She says, I don't know, I can't stop crying. And I said, are you crying because you're unhappy? She says, no. It was wonderful. And I finally figured out, you know what? Her head doesn't get it yet. But her heart understood, I'm home. You know, when people get off the airplane, and they've been gone a long time, and their family's there, what do they do? They cry because they're home. And when we come into worship, and the presence of God is here, our hearts cry. Because why? Because... We're starting to enter into that place, into the heavenly city where we really belong, where home is. And we've been away from it. And so we cry. Like lost exiles, like people who've been away for a long, long time, finally allowed to go home. And in times of darkness, what the world needs is people with the courage to live in this world now as strangers and aliens, people who are seeking for a better home. People who won't let just kind of the the little things here stop them. People who are willing to leave what's comfortable and go out on the wild adventure of following God and making the world a different place. This world is not your home and this world is not my home. But I want you to know something. We're on our way home. We're headed there. And when we get there, it's going to be so good. And let that give you the courage to live your life now in complete dependence upon God, like Abraham did. Okay, team, I want you to come. Is Jason back there? Yeah, you guys ready? Run fast, guys. Our time is short. We have a little time bomb in the children's ministry. We've got to get finished before that blows up. You understand how that is? You know, every minute we go overtime here, it comes out of their hide up there. So we, we want to be on, on part. So here's the deal. Here's the ground rules. These guys are going to pick out just a few people. We don't have time to do very many. And they're going to just try to give you some words to encourage you. Impressions that God gives them to just lift you up and bring hope and healing into your life. And, you know, if you're not sure about something, they say, you know, come up and talk to them. Talk to one of the pastors. You can sort it through. You know, you're not under obligation to take what they say is the gospel truth. But if it ministers to you and it helps you, then let it do that. Um, in the second to last row, there's a man with a, like it looks like a yellow, that collared shirt sitting there. You're kind of peering over the side. Yeah. You know, you can stay right there. You don't do come up. Not you, sir. Sorry, that young man right there. Yep. But you, you can stay in your seat. You don't need to. Come up. Just keep standing. Just keep standing. Sorry, we're all mixed up now. Hi. You know, I just got the sense when I, I saw you from over there, um, I actually saw you in a military uniform, and I don't think 
that you're supposed to, I'm not telling you to join the military or anything of that sort. What I actually got was the sense that you have a very militant approach to some things. That when you put your hand to something, you make sure you see it through. And you kind of focus in on stuff. And like you zone and you say, I'm going to do this job because this is my job and my task. I just really felt like God wanted to point that out in you and say, you know what, that's a gift from you. That you're so focused on things that that's a gift. That's not something that's kind of this like crazy little quirk of yours that's slightly kind of annoying to other people, but that's a gift. Your determination and perseverance to see things through is a gift from God. And He just wants you to know that He sees it and He's endorsing that. Right? Cool. There is a, a young lady sitting what looks like her family or friends in a purple sweatshirt you're you're being nudged right now now you're pointing to yourself could you stand up for a second and Brian's going to give you a word what's your name yeah I won't be able to hear you (laughs) sorry okay just give me a sec I actually don't have anything at the moment I'm going to come back to you in one second. You can stay standing. You two right there. Um, sitting. Are you two together with the glasses? The man with the glasses in the second to last row. Are you two together? Yeah. Can you stand up together? Uh, God really wants to use your home uh, as a place of healing. And... Um, Specifically, um, I feel like you need to start asking your wife. Um, I think God's going to start giving her some people on her heart, whether she's going to be dreaming those people or just seeing those people. Um, Start asking her about that because uh, I think God wants you to start inviting those people into your home. Um, And God's going to use that as like a physical place of healing. Um, So I just encourage that. Okay, purple. Two things. Um, I, see, I, I was seeing a picture of you running, like you were this runner, and there's two parts to it. Um, I saw you running, and you were, like, passing off a baton to, like, you know what I'm talking about, one of those races where you pass the baton off. And uh, I felt like God has gifted you to connect people to each other, and it's a really important gift. And um, the other part of that is... Um, I feel like God is saying that you have a story and you're supposed to tell people that story. You have a testimony of things that God's done in your life and God wants you to start telling people that. Does that make any sense? Okay. Um, the three young men, I think I've met you, Joshua, and the two boys sitting next to you. Arnold, Josh, and there's a young man in between. Could the three of you stand up? Or jo- Justin, yeah, not Josh, sorry too many J's and I'm a Jason. It's all messed up. You know, when I looked back at you guys, I heard, thus were the exploits of David's mighty men. And um, the, the story of the three men that go off into David's hometown to fetch him a glass of his water came to mind. And I just felt like God was pointing the three of you out saying that these three young men will work in such a manner that they will do mighty things together in my name. And that he just wanted you to kind of be 
pulled out and say, pull together as a group and hold fast with each other. Because God's going to do some amazing things through the three of you. Yeah, about this couple right down here. What are you guys' names? Cool. Okay, I'm hearing the name Joshua for you. And to see a, a gift of leadership on you. Like something's been passed down to you. You're going to be leading people. Oh, there's some more. Hold on. I feel like God has just given you a real ability to connect with youth. Um, like, I was just hearing the word music, and um, I don't know if that's something specific to you, but kind of like what I was interpreting too is like kind of how um, kids would just like respond to music and kind of open up um, in that kind of scene. I feel like God has given you like the ability to kind of like go in like that um, so that it's more of like an atmosphere that you provide of comfort and an ability to just like let kids kind of relax um, and uh, then Jesus is going to touch them through that okay I'm, I'm seeing you guys as just fire starters like you guys have just a lot of passion a lot of vision a lot of dreams do you dream like actually dream at night do you get dreams yeah those are from God you got to pray through some of those ask him about it he's talking to you in those um, I see just, there's just a lot of passion that's built up. And and um, have you guys, like, kind of talked about things you want to do in the future, like vision stuff? Like, let's do this together. Let's do this, like, ministry-wise. I see, like, there's, like, different things coming from both of you, but that you guys are going to be, like, dreaming up great things. Um, uh, there's something on you. I'm seeing you right now um, just like really encouraging uh, men. Uh, there's more on this one. Hold on. Um, I just get the sense that you're each other's battery pack. That you both really feed off of the other person. And it's kind of like, there's oftentimes you sit back and you're like, I can't believe I found this person because if it wasn't for this other person, I wouldn't be making it right now. And just to really encourage you both, sometimes, some of those times when you've been really tired, you're kind of like, oh, I'm just too tired to talk this out right now. The, the two of you are like perfectly designed to supply the energy for the other person. Can I do one more thing for that? Sorry. I feel like I just want to like, what I was talking about earlier, I feel like that's really God's gift for you specifically. And for you, I just felt like God's really um, given you the strength to break people out of um, almost like jail situations that they're in, things that they're locked into. God's really given you the strength to break people free. Thank you, guys. Dan? You know, I know some of you aren't maybe used to that kind of ministry, 
but uh, the Bible says don't despise prophetic utterance. Don't, don't despise the prophetic. And there is incredible blessing to it. I, I remember when Steve brought a team to us 10 years ago, and Raylene and I had just talked about the fact that someday we wanted to see another church planted out of this church. And that was about the extent of our faith. And I remember this team ministered to us and said, You are wrong. It is not one church. It is ten. And I just remember we just went, Whoa. And now we're just getting ready to birth our seventh church out of this church. And so uh, now we're saying, Well, Lord, you're going to have to refresh the vision now. But, I mean, this is a powerful thing when God begins to speak to his people. So why don't we stand together? It's been great to be together tonight. Let's stand. Let's... Ask the Lord to bless us. Listen, tonight, if you need prayer, uh, if you uh, need, just need any prayer about anything, come on up. We'll have some prayer teams come down and pray for you. But let's dismiss our service. And uh, be sure you thank the kids' ministry folks back there that have been so lovingly taking care of our kids. I just want to say, Father, thank you for this wonderful team that's come to us from Evanston. Bless them really good, Lord. And thank you, Father, for my family here. Lord, we love you and we bless you tonight. Thank you for your presence, dear friend, Holy Spirit. We bless you and we love you. In Jesus' name, God's people said, Amen. God bless you all. Have a great week. See you next week.